Headlines, everybody. I'm here with Trevor Lane of Laker or LakerNation.com. Uh, Trevor, how you doing? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're here to talk some Lakers. Sean could not be on today um, just because he had some family issues come up. So best of luck to Sean and his family. But Trevor, um, I guess we're going to jump straight into things right now. Um, what? Game one and game two have passed, um, and the series is split one to one. What have you What have you liked so far um, as as a Laker, as somebody who covers the Lakers? I, I think the only thing that we saw consistently from game one to game two from the Lakers was the defense. I mean, that's the one thing that they hung their hat on through much of the season was being a solid defensive team. And then we saw that in game one. I mean, look, 34 points is a lot for anybody to put up. But if it's Damian Lillard, you're kind of holding him to 34 because that guy's got a chance to hit 60. And then in game two, he only put up 18. So you've got to be happy with that with the Lakers. I think that's been the one consistent thing. Game one, the offense wasn't so great. Game two, the offense came around. So we'll certainly hope to see more of that in the future. But uh, again, between both games combined, the defense has been the one thing that's really uh, stuck out to me. Um, yeah, so in case you all uh, don't know, the Lakers won 111 to 88. Um, and holding the Portland team with, as you mentioned, Damian Lillard, who can drop 60 on anybody, um, to 88 points. I mean, Lillard only had 18 and McCollum only had 13. And I know points are everything, but um, they held the Blazers to shooting 28% just about from three-point range which is really what they hang their hat on with their stars. Now, that could just be cold shooting, but uh, it, it also has to do with some good defense. Um, Trevor, what, what have you seen uh, in the first two games that kind of makes you a little bit nervous about the Lakers, if anything? I mean, the big thing is the shooting, right? In game one, we saw the Blazers just completely pack the paint. They ran two bigs. They were running Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic at the same time, which very few NBA teams do these days. That used to be something that was fairly common, the, the Twin Towers approach. But now it's just it's not used much because you have to have guys that are quick enough to get out and cover the three-point line. Well, the Blazers pretty much dared the Lakers to beat them from behind the arc. And in game one, they couldn't do that. The Lakers shot 15.6% on mostly wide-open shots. You had Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Alex Caruso. They all struggled from behind the arc. In game two, their shooting came around. They shot about 37%. From deep, and you saw Anthony Davis start to hit. You saw Contavious Caldwell Pope made some big shots for the Lakers. So that's something that has to be a concern moving forward. Which which of those things is real? Are the Lakers really a 16% three-point shooting team? And if they are, they're in big, big trouble because that's mm -hmm. probably the worst by far in the NBA. Or are they more like the 37-ish percent three-point shooting team, which is what we saw in game two? And if that's the case, then they are a much more difficult team to deal with. So the question is, where does the truth lie? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But if the Lakers can continue hitting their shots, they're going to be a really tough team to stop. Yeah, um, as you mentioned that, in game one, there were three DNPs. Um, and Deion Waiters played one minute, so he was basically a fourth. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about the minute spread in game two? J.R. Smith played 22 minutes, went three for nine from behind the arc. Uh, Waiters saw his minutes go up. And um, guys like KCP and Caruso saw a little bit of a decrease. How do you feel about Frank Vogel's coaching decisions in game two? You know, I thought the game two, it was, you know, when you see that many minutes going to J.R. Smith, that's a little bit of a of a garbage time situation because it was a blowout. J.R. Smith wouldn't have received 
quite that many minutes, but he was still part of the game plan, clearly, because Vogel used him in the second quarter when the game was still in question. The, the Lakers had a lead, but the Blazers were were not out of it at that point. So seeing Deion Waiters come in, seeing Jared Smith come in, that was a pretty clear sign that Vogel recognized the problems from game one and that he needed to find somebody, anybody, who could make a shot, who could contribute on that end of the floor for the Lakers, and he was searching for that. Um, so I was I was pleased to see him at least try those guys because, in particular, Deion Waiters was really, really good for the Lakers uh, during their bubble play, during their first uh, their eight regular season games, if we want to call them that. He was, he was fantastic coming off the bench. So I was more surprised that we didn't see those guys in game one and pleased to see that Vogel went ahead and made the adjustment for game two and decided to give them some minutes. Yeah, um, another thing that we saw is um... – Guys like LeBron, he only took 11 shots in that game. Um, JaVale McGee took six, Green took six, and Pope took eight out of the starting five. And AD, of course, took 21 shots. Um, do you think that's kind of what how the Lakers want to run, or do you want to see them or see LeBron ha- take more shots and score more than just 10 points? I don't think it matters to LeBron. I think what matters to him at the end of the day is did they win the game? Uh, I actually think he probably appreciates games like this where he doesn't have to do much of the heavy lifting. I mean, how many, how likely would it be that LeBron can score 10 on any given night and the Lakers get a win? That's a, a pretty rare thing. So LeBron, his, we tend to think of a superstar, right? As somebody who is going to really take over the game down the stretch. And LeBron got a lot of criticism for missing the two free throws at the end of game one and maybe not looking for his own scoring as much. But LeBron, LeBron isn't wired the same way as say a Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, where they're going to take over with their scoring. He's more wired to make the correct basketball play, and that might mean a pass to an open teammate. Now, if those teammates were continuing to miss, I would expect that LeBron would be forced then to try to find his own his own shots. In game two, his teammates were hitting. Guys were hitting shots, and so he didn't have to score the basketball. And since it was a blowout, there was no reason for him to you know take the ball into the paint and absorb a ton of contact or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a it's a big problem for him. Um, I think he was fine with the way the game played out. And because he likes passing so much, I think teammates hitting shots for him is a, is a great thing. Yeah. Um, as you said, yeah, he is, he is definitely not one of those typical superstars um, where they, they want to go out and drop 30, 35 every night. Um, and, and yeah, I think he, I think he does like that um, kind of letting his team, his teammates pick up the slack or if you can even call it that. Um, and I know he hasn't he hasn't had a team that can do that in, in quite some time. So um, going on to game three tomorrow night, SH Primetime does return. Uh, Sean and I will be bringing you that uh, Lakers-Blazers game three. Who wins game three, and, and why do you think that? You know, I, I, one of the big questions heading into this series was how much did the Portland Trail Blazers burn themselves out having to get to this point. They had to play nine games in a row with their backs against the wall in a do-or-die situation. They had to throw everything in. Damian Lillard was averaging 42 minutes a game. McCollum was averaging 41. These guys were putting uh, a lot of minutes in, a lot of time on the court in a very short time period. They're playing every other day. And I thought we saw that a little bit in game one. We saw a little bit of fatigue creep in for the Blazers. They still won the game. And I thought we saw a little bit more of it in game two. So I feel like at this point, the Lakers are probably the fresher team and coming off of the performance they just had, they've got some momentum. So I've got the Lakers winning game three. I do think it'll be closer. I don't think you're going to 
uh, keep Damian Lillard under wraps to score just 18 points consistently. The Blazers will make adjustments. That's what playoff series are all about. One game, one team makes an adjustment. The next game, the other team reacts to that and so on down the line that you go. But I still favor the Lakers to come out and on top in game three and, and seize control of the series. Um, and, and, you know, adding on onto on that game three, do you feel that um, it's going to be kind of a, a same same kind of hot Lakers team? Or, or do you think they're going to, like the Blazers are going to step up their defense, especially, you know, perimeter defense, and um, stifle that a little bit? Well, I, I sure hope the Lakers will still be shooting well. Uh, so the, the trade-off, right? I mean, you can't take away everything out on the floor. The trade-off is, let's say the Blazers do step up their perimeter defense a bit, and now that the Lakers have shown they can make shots, if they start to close out, well, that opens up things in the paint a little. Maybe the Blazers don't run their too-big lineup in order to have a little bit more versatility there on the defensive end of the floor. Well, that can open up driving lanes for LeBron James to go finish at the rim. That can open up uh, cutting opportunities for Kyle Kuzma or Anthony Davis in the post as well. So uh, you can't take away every single thing that uh, that the Lakers are going to do out there on the floor. I do think the Blazers are going to come out with some renewed energy, especially at the beginning of the game. But if the Lakers can weather that storm and continue scoring and find ways to to counter the counters that the Blazers are going to apply, um, then then I think they'll be in good shape. Yeah, um, and and going off of that, you know, LeBron or AD, sorry, uh, had thirty one and eleven um, against kind of that too big kind of approach. How do you think the two bigs are going to affect him uh, throughout the rest of the series? And how do you think that uh, other do you think that other teams might use that approach a little bit, except for the Rockets, of course, um, use that approach going in further into the playoffs? You know, I, I don't see very many teams using that that Twin Towers approach just because, uh, for one, a lot of teams don't have the personnel. Like you mentioned, the, the Houston Rockets simply don't have the players to do that. Uh, and then other teams that, that might, like, say, the Denver Nuggets, who have uh, Plumlee and, and uh, Jokic, they're probably not going to play those guys at the same time very much because they would rather have the floor spacing and the defensive versatility, the switchability of having a, a smaller four out there on the floor. So I don't see a lot of teams copying that. Anthony Davis did fine dealing with it in game two because he was hitting his outside shots. I mean, that's what you're giving up if you're putting, say, a Hassan Whiteside on Anthony Davis is that he's going to be able to step outside and and shoot. And uh, in game two, he made his shots. In game one, he didn't. Uh, He's still been forcing the issue as far as getting to the rim, and I think that's going to happen regardless. What I would expect to see more of is what we saw in the eight seeding games in the bubble, and that was a lot of double-teaming Anthony Davis on the catch. And Davis was struggling a little bit at passing out of that double-team. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Blazers try that tactic a lot uh, in Game 3. And then it's going to be up to, to AD to make the right reads and hit the right open man at the right time in order to uh, help generate looks. And, um, yeah, as you said earlier um, during during this time we had, um, LeBron is not that typical superstar uh who's who's gonna who's gonna want to or feel like he needs to take control of the game when he doesn't need to um are you at all worried about him or any other lakers player and if so why uh yeah i mean so i'm not worried about lebron right i mean this is a, a veteran he's been around for 17 years in the nba he's been there he's done it I'm going to trust that when the time comes for LeBron to step up, he's going to do it. I mean, you look at his game one stat line and people say, oh, you know, he didn't finish down the stretch or whatever. Mm-hmm. The guy had 16 assists, 17 rebounds and 23 points. And we're complaining that yeah. he didn't play well enough. It's crazy. Um, but 
I, I'm not worried about LeBron. The one guy I am worried about is Danny Green. And that guy right now, he is, I don't want to say he's persona non grata in Lakers Nation or anything like that, but Lakers fans have not been pleased with what they've seen out of Danny Green, particularly on the offensive end of the floor um, since play resumed. And he wasn't shooting great during the regular season, right? I mean, he hit 46% from three as a Toronto Raptor. He was shooting 38% as a Laker, and that's a noticeable difference. Uh, and maybe 46% is way too lofty of a, of a goal to try to hit that consistently. But still, the bottom line is that he had he was somewhat disappointing with his shooting ability. And now I feel like we're seeing Danny Green hesitate a little bit on his three-point yes. shots. He's not taking them with the same smoothness as we had seen previously. Um, he's not finding shots in rhythm. He finally got one of them to fall against the Blazers. But uh, but still, you have to be a bit concerned about Danny Green because the Lakers are going to need him knocking down those open looks that LeBron and Anthony Davis provide. Yeah, especially with, uh, as you said, the double-team tactic that may be employed mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow. Now, if you're Frank Vogel, uh, based off of that fact that he is definitely hesitating and he wasn't even taking the shots during the eight games, would you continue to trust him and play him for 25-plus minutes? Or would you let other guys like a JR or a Deion Waiters or an Alex Caruso step up? Well, I think it really depends on the game script. So if the Lakers have a lead, then, yeah, you can probably spend more minutes on on Danny Green, even if he's not contributing offensively, because defensively he brings you some things that the other guys don't. Uh, he's got some size to him that Alex Caruso, that Contavious Caldwell-Pope simply don't have. Um, he, he's a little bit slower-footed than those guys, but he's got that length that helps him contest. He does a nice job dropping into the paint to contest uh, whenever the ball gets inside. Uh, he, he came up with four steals in game two. So he can make an impact on the defensive end of the floor. But if the Lakers are behind and you need offense, I think you have to turn elsewhere. And and that's probably meaning more KCP who finally got, got going from, from three, but also maybe uh, some looks at Dion Waiters, who's a guy that I feel like should be in anytime LeBron James isn't on the floor just because Waiters has the ability to take the ball in a broken play situation with the shot clock winding down and create offense for himself. He can get you a good look all by himself, just created out of nothing. And that's a that's a skill and a talent in and of itself. And so it's I think it's something that the Lakers can really use. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me if Green continues to struggle and the Lakers are in a situation where they need to put points on the board if we see more minutes fed to Deion Waiters. Um, yes, sir, certainly. Um Going, going kind of to a transition here, um, how big, if, if um, the Lakers were to win the finals this year, how big would this uh, ring be not only for LeBron um, and his GOAT conversation, but also for the Lakers franchise right after uh, Kobe Bean Bryant uh, died in that helicopter crash earlier this year? Oh, it's it's absolutely massive. I mean, you mentioned the Kobe thing, so there's certainly the, the win it for Kobe mantra. I mean, we're heading into to next week is, is Mamba week. Right, because we've got 8:23. You've got you've got Kobe's birthday, then you've got 8:24, which is uh, which you've got Kobe's numbers, and so obviously there's going to be a ton of Kobe stuff coming out coming out next week. Um, so there is certainly that kind of win it for Kobe element. We know that uh, that Lionel Holland is one of the Lakers' assistant coaches had sent video to the Lakers of Kobe and kind of giving this like inspirational video clip that he sent. Uh, he's someone that is certainly on their minds for the Lakers franchise. Not only is it win it for Kobe, but it would be win a 17 championship, which means tying the Boston Celtics, which is their their rival, rival yep. right, in, in the Celtics. So to win a 17th, that would be huge for the franchise. And then for LeBron personally to win a title with now three different franchises, 
does that reignite the LeBron versus Jordan greatest of all time discussion? And I'm sure that's something that people would de- will debate ad nauseum, but I think it at least uh, sparks that. Whereas if you don't win a championship as a Laker, I think people continue to revert to the, oh, Jordan is just the greatest of all time and LeBron is somewhere somewhere below him. So there's a lot riding on it from, from all aspects for sure. Yeah. Um, as, as this, um, you know, NBA finals approaches in this, in this strange season that we've had so far, um, how do you, how big do you think the Lakers making it or winning the championship uh, will be to re-signing Anthony Davis? I, I don't think it matters for re-signing Anthony Davis. And and that's not to say it doesn't matter to AD. Like, I mean, of course, a championship matters. But mm-hmm. in, just in terms of bringing him back, you look at what's happened this season. And you look at what we've heard from day one, right? One of the first stories that came out when Anthony Davis became a Laker was he's getting LeBron's number, right? Like, LeBron is going to give up 23 for AD. Now, Nike squashed that. Maybe it's still going to happen next season. They didn't have enough time yeah. to reprint all those jerseys. But, um, but. LeBron was deferring to AD. LeBron reportedly went to management and said, we want to run the offense through Anthony Davis. Let's let's do that. Um, he's very much willingly passing the torch and saying, AD, this is, this is going to be your team soon. Take it and run with it. So that situation in, in and of itself, there's no friction there between LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. That's a good thing. And then all we've heard is how great the chemistry is. The Lakers have this infamous group text where the guys are constantly – cracking jokes with each other and sending each other information. These are guys who legitimately enjoy each other's company, whether it's on the court or off. And I think that matters too. These guys have fun being around each other. And then you look around the league, where's he going to go? You look at the teams that have cap space. There's nobody that he can jump to right now that would make him a contender for a championship the way the Lakers can. And he pushed so hard to get to the Lakers. So when you add all of that up, I don't see him going anywhere. It would shock me at this point if you were to to leave the Lakers. Yeah, and um, talking about that chemistry, I'm going to uh, do another little transition. Um, the Clippers' closing lineup, their death lineup, really has not been on the floor together much at at all this season, especially considering that we had the uh, kind of break from play and then the restart. Um, how much do you think that will affect a potential Western Conference Finals between the two? I certainly could, you know, the Clippers chemistry probably isn't at the level that the Lakers is, but they're such a talented group. And I I would say objectively, the Clippers have more depth than the Lakers do. They've got more ability to withstand an injury to a player just because they are deeper. When you've got guys like Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams coming off of your bench and, and lighting it up for you, that's a great luxury for the Clippers to have. Now, the question is, what can the Lakers do to kind of capitalize on that lack of chemistry? When the Lakers played the Clippers uh, right before everything shut down back in March, we saw the Lakers just pick on Lou Williams, and they put him in pick and roll, I think, for six straight minutes to close the game. Mm-hmm. Every single time down the floor, offensively, they went pick and roll with whoever Lou Williams was guarding, and they forced him to defend in space, and it worked out great for L.A. So the question is, can the Lakers then – uh, then capitalize on on that on that perhaps being off a little bit on for the Clippers defensively. Can they make that work? Um, but but again, bottom line, this Clippers team is good enough to win just based on talent, just based on the the players that they've got out there. So I know people are excited for a Lakers Clippers matchup, and all I can say is is that we have no idea who's going to take that one because both teams are so so evenly matched. Yeah, I know Sean likes to say that the Clippers have more six man of the year potential on their on their bench but the Lakers are still 
uh, very, very deep team. Now, going off the injury uh, comment that you made with the Clippers, how how much of an impact do you think uh, Rajon Rondo will be uh, when he eventually comes back to this Lakers squad? So I don't, I'm not sure. Now, Rondo, we looked at as – so there were a lot of people who weren't big fans of, of Rondo, and myself included, um, and not – you know, not fans of him as a person. He's been great every interview we've done with them, just in terms of his skill set, what he brings to the modern NBA. His inability to shoot means a lot of teams are sagging off of him and then it's clogging up the paint. He's the kind of guy who likes to hold on to the ball a, a lot and kind of probe the defense. He is a more, uh, I guess his his style of point guard is more of a, a dying breed in the current NBA. And so the question is, Rondo's not going to help your shooting much himself. And that was a, a big problem for the Lakers, obviously, in game one. You're not going to turn to a guy like Rondo and have him come in and hit three or four threes. It's unlikely. He can do it, but it's unlikely mm-hmm. that that's going to happen. So the question is, can he impact the Lakers' field goal percentage by setting up other players on the team and getting them the ball in the right spots at the right time? If he can do those things, then I think he can be a positive for the Lakers. But defensively, he struggled. And his shooting has struggled. And usually what we see happen is those two factors outweigh whatever positive impact he brings on the floor. But I will say this is the playoffs. Sometimes having a veteran ball handler in there can be a really good thing in terms of just settling a team down and giving them some structure. And so he can certainly be a contributor on that side. And then, of course, we've heard for so long about this guy, playoff Rondo. Does he still exist? Is this a thing? We've seen him blow up with the Bulls. We've seen him do it with alongside Anthony Davis with the Pelicans. He takes his game to another level come playoff time. Now, obviously he's older now, but Lakers fans want to know, can he still do that? And if he can, if Rondo can step his game up to that next level and play there, like we saw uh, earlier in the season against OKC, I think we saw some flashes of what Rondo can really be when he's playing at the top of his game. That guy, I think, absolutely can help the Lakers. So the question is, which player are, are we getting here? And that's uh, that's something that we're going to have to wait to find out. Yeah, um, certainly, certainly there. Now, I guess circling back around, the big question everybody wants to know is who who you got in the finals? Um, who's playing and who's winning? Sure. So I've been, you know, from day one, I've been, I've had the Lakers and obviously I am tremendously biased. This is not an objective take at all. I grew up as a Lakers fan, so I'm going to be biased here. And I, you know what, the Lakers haven't been in the playoffs for seven years now. So I'm going to take my shot here and and root for the Lakers to get Mm -hmm. there and get an NBA championship. You know, when you look at everything that's happened on the floor, things have largely turned out very, very well for the Lakers this season. Things have broken the right way off the floor they've dealt with unimaginable tragedy right losing Kobe Bryant and then everything going on with the season shutting down uh Dwight Howard has had some personal tragedy in his life these guys have struggled losing Avery Bradley of course and him deciding and no problem with that him deciding Mm -hmm. to prioritize family so there have been some things off the floor that they've also had to get through as a team and I I my hope is that all of these things will cause them to come together and become an even stronger unit as the playoffs go on and that they will find a way to get things done. Because again, this would be an incredible narrative to not only win a 17 championship and tie the Celtics to give LeBron a championship with now three different franchises and perhaps get into that greatest of all time conversation, but also to honor Kobe Bryant. I feel like all of those things would just make such a great story. And it feels like it would be, it would be a great way to finish what has been a very tumultuous and difficult season. And, and who do you think is going to uh, make it out of the East um, for, for that? 
you know, I, I still have Milwaukee, but I think that what I love about what we've seen from the playoffs so far is that there have been other teams that have popped up. I mean, heading into the season shutting down, we thought, okay, it's Milwaukee, it's the Clippers, it's the Lakers. That's mm-hmm. it, right? That that was our was our championship contender field. And now I feel like Houston, the Rockets have, have put themselves in the discussion. I feel like the Toronto Raptors, amazingly enough, with no Kawhi Leonard, yep. have put themselves in the discussion no the way Danny they Green play. Either. Yes, and no Danny Green as well, which which some say some Lakers fans have been saying that Danny Green is secretly still working for the for the Raptors with all these missed shots, but I won't go there. But um, but you've got the Boston Celtics playing well. Uh, even the Miami Heat have looked mm-hmm. very very solid, especially when you get a guy like Duncan Robinson just blowing up like he did uh, yesterday. So I think it's a it's a wider field than it was before, but I'm still going to stick with the Bucks being the team that winds up representing the Eastern Conference in the finals. All right, and then um, going off of more Lakers-Bucks narratives, another big conversation throughout the season, um, Most Valuable Player Award. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's an award that has really been influenced by the media and and not only player performances but also uh, past performances. Um, who who do you think takes this year's MVP? I, I think it's going to be Giannis. I think that what we've seen is the, the general media has said, Giannis is the MVP. If you say anything else, you're crazy. It's not LeBron and blah, 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 blah. And that that narrative has, has taken hold. And obviously, from a Lakers perspective, I'm not going to necessarily agree with that. Um, I feel like Giannis is not a bad pick for MVP at all. You can absolutely pick him, and he is certainly deserving. I just feel like LeBron should be mentioned in the same breath because of the level that he's played at this season. And And we've seen in the past, look, narrative absolutely matters when it comes to the MVP award. I mean, Derek Rose, when he won MVP, LeBron probably should have got it, got mm-hmm. it that year as well. But there was, you know, there was the the storyline push was that Derek Rose was deserving. So um, I think the narrative should be behind LeBron. You know, 35 years old, comes to, comes to the Lakers, the level of defense that he's played this season at his age has been, been tremendous. Um, this is one of the greatest players ever. And I feel like he's turned in an MVP worthy season but that said you know i'm not i'm not saying Giannis is not the mvp because he's certainly deserving i'm just saying lebron should be right up there with him and and certainly get a a little bit more consideration i think than he does yeah and i know i know sean's take on this Uh, i know he can't be here right now but i'm gonna tell tell everybody his take his take is well lebron has been the best player in the league for pretty much his whole career um and he has probably been deserving of more mvps than he's gotten but uh, the fact that the media has used the uh, he plays in the East as an excuse. Uh, also, you know, when a player is just this good for so long, year after year, and he's pretty much the consist- consensus uh, best player in the league, uh, the media tends to want to go elsewhere, which is why uh, Sean thinks that LeBron should win the MVP this year. I mean, if you look at Major League Baseball, I don't know if you're a baseball fan there, Trevor, but uh, Mike Trout is – pretty undoubtedly the best player in the league, but he has not won the MVP award every single season he's he's played. Now, he has won MVP awards, multiple, but um, that, you know, the most valuable player um, award should go to the person who's most valuable for the team uh, instead of the person who has the best statistics in any given year. Sure, and, and what you're talking about is, is voter fatigue, essentially, right? I mean, there's 
there's players who they could win it every single year, but they don't because you want to see somebody new do something. And, and oh, you know, LeBron had a, a hammer dunk again. Hey, we've seen that before. It's still exciting, but we've, we've seen it. And um, and so, yeah, there, there certainly is that element to it. And that, that applies to what I was saying about Derrick Rose earlier yeah. as well. There's there's certain players who they could win it every single year. And LeBron is, is definitely one of those guys. Uh, but there is going to be sometimes a push for, for new blood. And even though Giannis is the reigning MVP, I think he's got got that certainly on his side. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what winds up happening with it. But the bottom line is the reason why the, the league doesn't define this is what the MVP is. They just call it the most valuable player is so that discussions like this take place and it mm-hmm. generates intrigue and, and all of that. So it's great for the league. Um, it's always fun to talk about. But at the end of the day, you really can't go wrong. I mean, LeBron, Giannis, both are absolutely phenomenal players. And uh, and the league is, is very fortunate to have them. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, tremendous athletes in the NBA. Um, I'm going to start wrapping it up here. Game three, um, we previewed that a little bit. What is your score prediction and who comes out on top? Um, so I said that game two was going to be pretty high scoring, and I don't think it was quite as high scoring as I thought, it, as I was thinking it was going to be. I was saying pick the over on the, the betting lines, and then the Lakers defense wound up kind of shutting down quite a bit of what the, the – uh, the Blazers were trying to do. Uh, so I'm going to say it's this one. I'm going to go the opposite, which means it'll probably be high scoring now, but I'm going to say this one will be low scoring because I think the Blazers are going to dig in defensively. I think they're going to throw some things at the Lakers to try to disrupt what LA was doing. And then um, from there, I, I think that we're going to have to have to just battle it out. That's what I think it's going to be. I think this is going to be a lot closer. I think it's going to be a close game in the fourth quarter. And uh, hopefully the Lakers are going to be able to make the plays to, to pull away from it. But, uh, yeah, I'm expecting a battle for game three. And do you think we're going to see a vintage, you know, 35-point triple-double LeBron in, um, in, in this next game? player fortunately if it was his shooting hand maybe a bit more. expect Lillard to be playing at just about 100 percent because that's who he is he's able to play through things like this he does have that that Kobe-esque mama mentality to play through stuff so I I would I would be shocked if he one didn't play and I would also be very very surprised if it impacted him much at all yeah um and also injury uh wise TJ McCollum said he was playing on a broken back and then uh, went to drop, I think it was, what, 30, 30 some odd points in the playing game. Um, how much do you think that's 
going to affect them as they fatigue um, throughout this series and the rest of the playoffs should they come out on top? Yeah, that's going to be a challenge for him, certainly. Um, it sounds like, he, you know, he said it's not a, that big of a deal. It sounds awful when you say broken back, but uh, it sounds like something that he can play through and has. I'm sure, like, in a series, players are going to be very low to, to say how much is really affecting them. After the fact, we might hear that it was bugging him more than he was letting on. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. It probably is affecting him to some degree, but this is still a guy that does such a great job at least scoring from the mid-range that I think he can still be effective even if he's maybe not wanting to get contact at the rim or, or whatever. Um, he's still an incredible player and a guy who can certainly light you up. So wouldn't surprise me at all to see McCollum step up too in this next one. So uh, the takeaway there is they are not, the Lakers are not going to hold uh, Dame and CJ to under 20 points each, uh, I think. Um, right. So um, thank you for your time here. Um, I know on the interviews uh, that me and Sean have done in the past, we do an end segment called Flip the Table, where um, you would get to ask me or Sean, but in this case just me, um, a question about pretty much anything, whether it's show-related, sports-related, or personal uh, life related. Um, Trevor, let's flip the table. Okay, um, so let's go with let's go with this one. I'm gonna gonna completely change the subject here, and we're gonna go we're gonna go into uh, into football. All right, and we'll we'll talk a little football here. So let's talk about who you think is going to win the Super Bowl this year and why. Okay, um, so before before. Um, Big, the big moves happened, uh, specifically Jamal Adams. I said I had this good feeling about Seattle. Um, and then I also said I think Kansas City is going to repeat at least going. Um, I, I think I think you're going to see um, – this is really tough. And, and, you know, predictions before the season uh, should never, right. ever be binding because of just everything that can happen during the season, if we even have one. Um, so – I think I've got to take – I think we're going to see Seattle coming on top. These dynasties like the Patriots have had are so uh, rare throughout all of sports um, and happen maybe once per sport per decade. Uh, you look at the 90s Bulls and then the mm-hmm. Patriots of the past 10, 15 years. Um, so I think we're going to see Seattle come out on top just because uh, the Chiefs won it last year in – and it really took another, I wouldn't say choke job, but another letdown from Kyle Shanahan in the uh, fourth quarter of the Super Bowl for that to happen. Yeah, so so you're leaning towards Seattle. So does that mean you're believing that Russell Wilson making noise in this offseason to, uh, to let the team allow him to air the ball out and throw it a bit more and kind of open up their offense instead of being so run heavy? You think that's that's what's going to happen? Um. I think it. I think it's going to have to happen. You look at uh, their running backs. Their two best running backs, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Uh, Carson especially have has an injury history, and uh, mm-hmm. we saw it last year at the end of the season. He tends to get more beat up and, and more prone to injury. And they had to bring in Marshawn Lynch um, for the playoffs, and he was pretty much uh, obsolete uh, in terms of of running the football. So uh, I like what we saw from Travis Homer. Uh, I think he's an interesting kind of dual threat guy that they can definitely take more advantage of. But um, I think they've got to lighten the load on their top two running backs in, in Penny and Carson um, this season. So, yeah, I think Whit Wilson's going to have more more shot, more shot of a chance to uh, pass the ball more and, and air the ball out to guys like D.K. Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett. 
So you're not a believer in Carlos Hyde then? Carl, they brought in Carlos Hyde, who, well, look, realistically, yeah, he's probably not going to do not going to do a ton there. But I agree that that Seattle offense will be so much fun if they let Russell mm-hmm. Wilson finally just just do everything that he can do out there on the on the field. So uh, I'm with you. I'd, I'd like to see Russell Wilson get to throw the ball more. I don't know if I'd pick Seattle to win it all, but still, that uh, that offense will be way more fun if they just said, "Go do your thing." Russell Wilson, instead of just asking him to bring them back in the fourth quarter, yeah. if they happen to be down. I, I do. I do have to confess one thing, though. Uh, I am a yeah. Packers fan, and I was trying Uh-oh. not to be biased when I said that. Um, I, I really, I think that we have much undeserved hate now. I know the draft and free agency was pretty mm-hmm. much a disaster. I've made my thoughts on Jordan Love and AJ Dillon clear. I like the Love pick. I like Dillon as a player, but I think he was picked too early. And considering our needs at wideout, he was not the right pick in the second round. But, um, you know, we got better, significantly better at linebacker, uh, middle linebacker. And the right tackle, while it was a downgrade, Rick, Rick Wagner is a better run blocker than Bulaga was. Um, and and he's, he's not a total liability in pass protection. So um, combine that with getting Lane Taylor back from injury, I think it's going to be a, a similar season. Now, 13-3 and three with pretty much no injuries is hardly repeatable, but, but um, I, I think the Packers will finish, you know, in playoff contention and therefore in Super Bowl contention. You mean, you, did you see the picture of AJ Dillon on the sidelines? You see his legs, the guy's He's got, massive. I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but to say, to say tree trunks for legs, my God, that, I mean, he is, he is just a massive human being. I'm curious to see what, what he can do. Um, who knows? We'll, we'll see what the Packers have, have going. Hopefully Devontae Adams can stay, can yes. stay healthy mm-hmm. and maybe maybe Alan Lazard steps up and finally becomes a number two guy uh, there in that offense. But I don't know. It seems like you've got an angry Aaron Rodgers on your hand, and that may be a good thing. That may be a bad thing. I yep. guess we'll have to find out. Yep. All right. Um, thank you for joining us, Trevor. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, you guys, make sure you go check out his website at uh, LankerNation.com and uh, follow him on all of his social medias if you want to shout those up right now. Yeah, yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane, and you can find me on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. And I do a lot of my work on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. You can find all kinds of videos there, breaking down Lakers games and and rumors and news and all of that kind of stuff. So if you want to go subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. And while we're on that, go subscribe to Sports Headlines too. Um, we Sportscaster is kind of our main uh, platform now, but um, YouTube is is not totally lost. Uh, Go, go subscribe to that. Watch a few videos. Sean's got some interesting Madden rebuilds on there. I know the Falcons um, one has is particularly uh, good. So go check that out. Remember, follow us on all social media. We will have some big content coming to you on there. And uh, Game 3, uh, SH Primetime Lakers Blazers is tomorrow. Uh, thank you for watching the most authentic place in sports, and peace out.